0: So what we were discussing is the fact that a bell that does not have a clapper is still considered to be Tame because you can still use it in its functional purpose. How do you use it? You can use it because you can take the bell and smash it, or not smash it, but hit the bell itself against Kharas, against uh, pottery, and that will make the noise. That was the first answer that we gave yesterday, okay? Now we're gonna continue, marna, oh, to Itmar and then we had a statement, the same idea, that a bell without clapper is still able to be become ritually impure. Because you can still make noise with it. It's still functional because you can use it and bang it against pottery to make the same noise as it would have made with a clapper. <inaudible> says, The reason why it's still ritually impure, the spell that was attached to a child, right? And the purpose of the bell is to make noise, but it can't make noise anymore. Why is it still ritually impure, according to Because you can turn the bell upside down and you use the bell to carry water. Right? We learned this earlier when we were talking about a shofar. We said a shofar Also you can use a shofar, since it's curved, you can actually use it to transfer water. So too with the bell, it does a bell. It's not of the clapper, it can't serve its initial function of making noise, but it could serve the function of actually um, of giving, of carrying water for a child, and therefore it's still able to become ritually impure. Because the definition of something that can become ritually impure is something that has a functional purpose. Now, the Gemara asks a, a, a strong question on Rabbi Yechanan, a very interesting question. When Rabbi Yechanan is trying to figure out the ability or inability of an item to retain impurity, right? So, we said earlier that as long as the item still has a functional use, it's able to become ritually impure. The Rabbi we had two different Amarayim earlier when talking about a bell. One Amorayim says the bell can still be used in its basically original function. So you're not gonna be able to shake it because it doesn't have a clapper, but you could use the bell to make noise. That's its original function. But Rabbi says you don't even need to use the bell to make noise. That doesn't have to be what you need it for. Even if the only thing that you can use the bell for is as a completely different purpose. For the purpose of carrying water, that itself is still enough to retain ritual impurity. Rabbi Yechanan elsewhere does not hold that. Rabbi Yechanan elsewhere holds that when you have a vessel that becomes ritually impure due to a specific function, if that functionality is lost, it no longer is able to become ritually impure, and it will actually lose its ritual impurity, even though it still has a secondary function that's possible. So, Viachanot seems to indicate, and we're going to go through that Gemara inside, but Viachanot seems to indicate that for an item which was ritually impure, as long as it still has something similar to its original functionality, it will retain ritual impurity, right? But as long as it no longer has its own initial or original intended functionality, it no longer will become ritually impure. Right. If that's true, then why does Rabbi Yochanan state that even if the bell can be used for a completely separate function of carrying water, it still is able to be ritually impure? Now, how do we establish that Rabbi Yochanan's position in general is that the item has to be still able to be used in something similar to its original functionality for it to retain its ability to become ritually impure? How do we establish that? So the Gemara says on the fifth line, it's not needed it to have its ability to, to, uh, to have its own initial intended functionality. But we learned in a says like this. So the, the Tumah that we're talking about here is what we call um, Tumas Midras. The tumas Midras is when someone is ritually impure and they sit on a chair, they sit on a couch, they sit on something that's meant to be sat on, right? That item itself becomes ritually impure. And it becomes ritually impure even if you sat on it with something covering it, right? So generally speaking, we say, if you're touching something, then it becomes ritually impure. Let's say you have someone who's a zav, right, that type of discharge. You have a girl, you have a lady who's a nida, right? They're actually able to impart ritual impurity to something that they're sitting on, even if they're not directly touching it. Even if there's a cushion in between, their impurity will still go to an item that's being used to, to bear their weight for a sitting, a wagon, a bed, anything of that nature, okay? Now the yashivalaha. You might have thought that if you took a sa, a sa is referring to a barrel that is used for food storage, and you took it, and the saw is really the, the measure of volume that it's able to to bear, and you took it, you flipped it over and you sat on it. Kafatarka I might have thought you take something that's intended purpose is food storage, you flip it over and you sit on it. I might have thought it becomes tamei. we learned in the we learned based on a pasik in the Torah. It says. That the Zav, right, the Zav is a man who has that discharge for um, for a particular amount of time over a specific amount of days, that it becomes ritually impure, and he's going to make things that he sits on ritually impure. But the Torah is telling us by saying, Asher Yashiv Elav Hazav, the Torah is trying to teach us, "Mishmi the Yeshiva, only something which intended purpose, it's um, uniquely. Um, it's intended purpose. It's intended to be something that you use for sitting on is going to become ritually impure through someone sitting on it. However, you have a barrel of food that really it's supposed to be used for food storage. And the guy flips it over and is using it to sit on it. But as soon as someone wants to actually use it for its proper purpose, he's going to say, hey, get off that barrel and let us do what, what we want with it, what we're supposed to do with it. So therefore, it's not really going to be defined as something which is meant to be sat on. And since the Torah says the only thing that becomes impure when a, when a zub sits on it is something that's intended to be sat on, this type of item is not going to become impure. It's really intended purpose is not for sitting on it. And the proof for that is that if someone says, hey, get off of that, we need to do our work with it. Because everybody recognizes that this is not really meant for sitting on, right? And that they, the Gemara is just using this language of that if someone needs it, they would say, get off of it, let us do our work. It's a way of expressing that this is not the intended purpose. And therefore, it can't become ritually impure. The midrashos, I'm learning, gives a qualifier. He says this is only true about the type of ritual impurity that is imparted through someone sitting on another item. Right? That's a certain category of ritual impurity. Someone becomes a someone becomes a someone someone's a someone Right? But, however, the <speaking in Hebrew> ena However, Relezer's opinion is that when it comes to tamei Mes, someone who became ritually impure due to tumas mes, due to uh, impurity of contact with the dead, right? So if they sit on these types of items that are not intended for sitting, then by, de- by dint of them sitting on it, they will render it ritually impure. And even if you say, okay, stand up, we need to do our work with that item, nothing is going to change. The item will still be ritually impure. Now, where are we trying to get? So we're trying to get to Rabbi Yechonah's statement. Rabbi argues on Rabbi and explains this price so differently, this Taneik. Ruling differently. And because he explains the Tanaic ruling differently, we now are going to have insight into what he deems necessary to happen for an item to lose its intended functionality and no longer be called a vessel that is uh, um, able to become ritually impure. What does he say? The opinion is that even by a tummy Mace, even when someone is ritually impure due to contact with dead, if he's sitting on this barrel, we're going to say that the barrel does not become ritually impure. Why? Because we're going to say, this is not the intended purpose of the barrel. For the barrel to become ritually impure due to someone sitting on it, it would have to be the intended purpose of the barrel, no matter what type of impurity we're talking about. What do we see from here? We see from here that in Rabbi Yochanan's eyes, for a, when we talk about vessels becoming impure, the definition of vessel for this whole conversation is going to be the vessel has to be used in its intended purpose. So when we talk about a bell that's intended purposes to make noise, you can't tell me that it's still considered a vessel in Rabbi Yochanan's eyes because you can use it to carry water. It's not its intended purpose. In Rabbi Yochanan's eyes, that would not be enough of a reason to render it truly really impure. Mara says, Eipach, you have to switch it around. You have to say that Rabbi Yochanan is really the one who stated that the reason why a bell is still impure, even though the clapper fell out and can no longer make noise, is because you could still use it to bang on pottery and make its initial noise. And Rav Yochanan was the one who said that. Rava was the one who said because you could use it to carry water. But Rav opinion indeed is that if the vessel does not have its original intended functionality, it's no longer able to become ritually impure. So the Gemara says, um, so switch around the first one. So the Gemara is now faced with the problem that it almost always asks. In other words, anytime we bring two statements from an Amora, two statements from a Tana, and we say you got to flip it around because otherwise it's not going to work out well. It's not going to make sense. How do you know which one's the one that you should switch? Maybe you should switch around Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Eliezer in this brisa about sitting on a barrel that somebody flipped over. Is that actually going to impart ritual impurity? Maybe you should say Rabbi Yochanan is the one who says that when it comes to Thomas Esmeis, that it's not going to impart ritual impurity. But, but Rabbi Eliezer is the one who says no matter what, it's going to impart ritual impurity. How do you know which statement of Rabbi Yochanan to switch for the other statement? We already learned from Rabbi Yochanan elsewhere that this is his view. Where do we learn this? The in, boy indeed needs to it has to have some sort of functionality that is similar to its original functionality to retain this uh, ability to become ritually impure. The Tanya, we learned in a different bright side, Okay, you have the sandal of a of an animal that's made out of a metal, right? So it's basically a shoe, right? The shoe that goes on a horse it becomes ritually impure. what's it good for? Amai Rav. Rav says, what did we, what's this b'raisa referring to that's ritually impure? Well, clearly, if it actually is still being used in its original functionality as a vessel belonging to an animal, obviously, that can become ritually impure. So what are we referring to when we say it's still ritually impure? We're referring to some level down from that. What are we referring to? Rav explains the by You could use it to drink water in a battle. So clearly, the shoe, I mean, the way I always pictured shoes when, when I played horseshoes, is not exactly something that you could use to put water into it. So clearly, there's some sort of other um, shoe like thing that they would put on animals and actually has some sort of a receptacle in it. Evchanina <inaudible> says it has a functionality that you could use it to, um, to uh, rub oil in a mochaba, in a warp. says, <inaudible> Rabbi Yechonon says you actually could use it in something similar to its intended functionality. Its intended functionality is as a shoe for an animal. You know what you can do? You can use it as a shoe for a human. How do you use it as a shoe for a human? A human is running away from the army, right? From from the attacking, the the uh, pillaging uh, attackers, and he will put this on his foot and he will use it to run, and he'll be able to run on thorns and barkanum and other uh, types of obstacles on the ground. He won't hurt himself because he has the shoe on his foot. What do we see from the opinion of Rabbi Yechonon again over here? that for something to still have the ability to become ritually impure, it has to be a functionality that is at least similar to its original functionality. So we see in all three places, so once, once we have two different places in which we have reason to believe that a opinion is it does have to retain original functionality, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna switch a in the middle place to say that that also follows that view. Okay. My Bain rabbi of Hanina, what's the difference between Rabbi's opinion and opinion? Rab's opinion? Rabbi's opinion was that as long as you're able to use it to carry water, to drink water out of it, or opinion says as long as you can use it to pour oil. you the most. The difference is, let's say it's gross, right? For whatever reason, it's dirty from being attached to the animal. You're not going to use it to drink water out of it, but you might well use it to uh, actually still use it to anoint oil on yourself, to spread oil on it. It's very heavy. So if it's very heavy, you're not going to use it to run away from the army because it was not going to help you; it's going to slow you down too much. But if it's very heavy, you might still use it to um, you might still use it to to rub oil on yourself. Okay. Yeah. Everybody good? Any questions? No questions. Okay. And not, the commissioner said that you're not allowed to go out with an irshel zahav, with a uh, a city made out of gold. That's literally what it means. Right? So, what does this mean over here? My beer shall what's the city of gold? Rabba Rahana, Rabbi Rahana says, name Rabbi Rahana, Jehava, it's Jerusalem of gold. Like Rabbi Kiva made for his wife. This is a famous, famous Gemara, really, in Saphthas um, Nandara in which we, I think we discussed this already, that Rebekah promised his wife when the father disowned her that he, uh, one day he's going to have money and he will give her a Yerushalayim shaltahat. He'll give her, a, uh, he'll give her this, um, a, a city made out of gold to make up for all of the hard times that they went through together. And the Gemara in the Darm doesn't even say that he actually got it, but um, but this Gemara says explicitly that he actually made it for her one day. A woman cannot go out with a city of gold. And if she does go out, she has to bring a carbon chata. It's it's a violation on a Torah level. That's the opinion of a mayor. She should not go out with this sort of uh, tiara that is a city of gold. But if she does go out with the pitura, she is exempt. She doesn't even bring a carbon chata. She could go out with this city of gold. Ideally, she could go out. If someone asks, She's allowed to go out. But Mike what are the three opinions in this Raysa? Remeir Saber Masayhu. says this is not a typical thing. It's actually considered to be a weight to wear it on your head. And something that's just carrying, it's not an ornament, and it's not permitted to go out with that at all. It's regular carrying, and it's forbidden on a Torah level. and Sabi Tachshitu. that it is an ornament, right? So therefore, technically, it's permitted to go out with an ornament on Shabbos. However, there's a concern that perhaps you'll take it off and show it to someone else. And therefore, it's forbidden to do it ideally, one cannot do it. But if they did it, they're going to be exempt. It's only a Torah-level, sorry, it's not a Torah-level prohibition, it's a rabbinic prohibition. They're not going to have to bring a carbon chattas to do it, though. Darka, the maypak, the earshals of Isha Hashuva. But Lezer says, no, this is a pachshit. It's true, it's an ornament, but there's not a concern that she's going to take it off. Why not? He said earlier there's always a concern that people will take off the, this uh, jewelry item. Why isn't there a concern? Whoever what type of woman goes out with this that have with this golden uh, tiara? The only person who goes out with that is Isha Khashuba, a very distinguished personage. And a a distinguished woman, a a rich woman, is not going to take this off to show other people. So therefore, there's no concern at all, right? This is a great place to talk about the fact, and it was bothering me for the past couple of days. I couldn't remember, um, most people, their wives, women today, they wear jewelry in public, right? There is no concern about not wearing jewelry in public on Shabbos, right? The Gemara is pretty explicit. You're not permitted to wear jewelry in public on Shabbos, right? What do we do with this? There's no Gemara that says that a woman's allowed to wear jewelry in public on Shabbos. Only Gemara say it's not permitted. So how can women today wear jewelry? So this is a problem that was bothering already, already in the times of the Ga'inim and the Rishonim and the Achreinim. So I looked at the Aruch HaSholchan. The Aruch HaSholchan is written about uh, 130 years ago. So he goes through some of the reasons that are brought down earlier than him. One of the reasons that he gives is, presumably, Women wouldn't have listened to this halacha at all. And since they wouldn't have listened to this halacha, we'd rather not tell them they shouldn't do it because if they're not going to listen anyway, it's better that we shouldn't tell them. And then at least they won't be doing it intentionally. But then he immediately says, impossible. A woman, of course, women will listen to halacha. And of course, they, would, they still wouldn't wear jewelry in public. So it must be there's a different reason why women are permitted to wear jewelry. So one of his reasons that he gives is, today, all women are chashiv, All women are very dignified. And therefore, they would not take off the jewelry in public to show someone else. And therefore, there's no concern that perhaps they'll end up walking in a public domain with the jewelry. That's the reason that I think he brings down showing him, really, from other them really, from earlier commentators. But the reason that he likes the most is he says that in those days, women didn't leave their house that much. And even on Shabbos, they didn't leave their house that much. They didn't see each other that much. So if you ended up bumping into someone on Shabbos, it was very likely that you would take off a piece of jewelry to show them today women are leaving the house every single shop they're seeing each other every single day they have he says in those days they did not have an ezras nation they didn't have a place in show for women to go to so only had a men men section there was no women section so therefore women didn't ever go to show so if you ended up going outside and you saw someone in the street very likely you'd take off a piece of jewelry to show them but today people don't do that and he says and if you look in in fact people don't take off jewelry in the street So therefore, this whole concern does not apply anymore because this whole concern was only around at a time period when people were actually going in the street rarely, and that's when Hazal made their Takana. But today that people don't go into the street, they they go into the, they're in the street seeing their friends all the time. So this is not where Hazal made their Takana at all, right? It's a little bit of an addendum to that. I don't want to say that things change. What you would have to say is that when Hazal, when the, the sages originally set up their Takana, they set it up only for these specific circumstances where people don't see each other often. Perhaps, even then, there were already circumstances in which people did see each other often, and Chazal already said doesn't apply to these types of circumstances, right? In okay, case so anybody was getting nervous about what to tell wives about wearing jewelry in the street on Chavez. Okay? Rabbi, the, right now, these days, women don't wear their real jewelry on the street just because, you know, somebody might steal it or something. Is that Something right? like yeah of course. Check ah. it most most uh you know I think that, I know I know I know for sure some people I do. I know they don't real, real they don't wear the like real engagement ring or wedding ring, they're just some some fake. Interesting. Just, I cannot in, case. Know that. just in case, yeah. Wow, how about that? Yeah, so then I don't think yeah. there's such a concern that they'll take it off, maybe. I don't know. Okay. So um let's see okay kalila right kalila is a different type of uh kalila shari kalila is a different type of thing that you would wear on your head and it was also expensive Rav uh, so rav says forbidden to go out with us on shabbos shmuel shari shmuel says it's permitted to go out with us on shabbos Daniska, if it's made out of precious uh, metal right if it's made out of a uh, gold or silver kuleyama so everybody agrees that's forbidden to go out with that on shabbos why because you might take it off to show your friends where they argue about is something that's made out of um, not out of metal. It's made out of some sort of garment, and on the garment, it actually had mitzurois. It, it was made out of some sort of uh, a straps of fabric. And Rashi says, and you put onto this uh, garment, you actually like put uh, gold and, and gems and precious uh, metals. You like sort of put it into the into the fabric. So it's not one large piece of, of gold or silver. It's it's a fabric that has the gold or silver and the gems pressed into it. So everybody agrees that. So the first version of this is that everybody agrees, both Rav and Shmuel agree that it's made out of metal. Of course, it's not permitted to go out with it. The only Mahloika says if it's not made out of metal, it's made out of a fabric and has something of metal in it. So Marsava Aniska iker, Marsava Ruksa iker. So one of them says that the Rab who says it's forbidden, he says that the metal part of it is the mean. Part of it, and therefore, you might have to take it off. And when it says that's permitted, it says that the, aruxa, the garment is the main part of it, and therefore, you're not likely to take it off. Uh, Rav Ashi has a different version of this, and he says it a little bit in a more lenient way. Both of them agree that if it's made out of fabric, everybody agrees it's permitted to go out with the sunshine. Where do they argue where it's made out of some sort of precious metal? Over there, they argue, over there, they say. That is a whether or not you're allowed to go out on a Shabbat. One of them says perhaps you'll take it off to show your friend and then you'll end up walking with it on Shabbos in the public domain. Who is the type of person who goes out with a Kalila with this fancy sort of uh, crown? It's only a distinguished woman. A distinguished woman is not going to stoop to showing it to her friend and taking it off. So this is one of the examples that the Gemara tells us elsewhere about Rav Yosef. Rabbi Yosef was a, was a very wise person, and he spent a long time teaching Torah, a long time learning Torah, then a long time teaching Torah. Towards the end of his life, he had some sort of dementia or something of that nature where he basically forgot everything that he had learned. And many times the Gemara tells us that his students would teach him things that he had taught them. And then whenever they would do that, he would, he would like get happy to hear Torah. And they would say to him, Oh, you actually taught us this Torah, right? So it's a poignant idea. So Hashua Barrachana tells Rav the you told us once in the past that according to Rav, Kalila is permitted to go out within the street. So they said to Rav, Asagava Rabbah, a uh, a large person, a tall person came to Nahardah, Umatla, and he was limpy. The darash and he he. Expounded. Basically, he got up and he gave a drush and he said, "Kalila Shari is permitted to go out with a kalila." Amraman Who is this tall person that Itla that he limped? Levi. It's Levi. Rabbi So the Gemara is going to go from here and take this onto a little bit of a tangent. It must be that Aphis had died. Okay. How do we know that Aphis had died? Right. Because otherwise, Levi would not have come to Naharda. What's the connection? The Yasef of Chanina because if had become. The Rosh Yeshiva and was sitting at the head of the Yeshiva. And there was no one for Levi to learn by. Because Levi was learning with Chanina. And Office was the head of the was Rosh Yeshiva. And Levi was learning with Chanina one on one. but When Chanina became the Rosh Yeshiva, Levi thought, I'm not going to be going to the Yeshiva of the person who's my Chanrusa. So he left and he came to Naharadat to go learn Torah by someone else. And therefore he came here. Gemara then says, Maybe Chanina died or Baphis. And Abbas was still the head of the Yeshiva. And Levi didn't have anybody to learn with because Levi was always learning with Hanina. In other words, how is it so obvious to you that office was the one who died? and Hanina became the Rosh Hashiva? Maybe Levy, maybe Hanina died, and office was still the Rosh Shiva, and Levi had nobody to learn with. If Rabbi Hanina would have been the one to have died, then Levi indeed would have sat and and uh, sort of bent his will for the will of office, and he would have actually studied under Office. The Also, we know it must be that Rebbe Hanina did not die before Abbas died. Why? It's not possible that, that Rebbe Hanina did not end up being the Malach, the leader, the, the ruler, right? Literally, the, not literally the ruler, but it's referring to becoming the Rosh Hashiva. Because the Rebbe was dying and was on his deathbed. What did he say? Umar, he said, she said that should be the one to sit at the head of the yeshiva. And we know it is written about this, but about righteous people. that say Basically, what Tzadikim says, something is going to happen, it ends up happening. So it must be that Hanina ended up becoming the rosh yeshiva. So if Hanina was not the rosh yeshiva when Apis was alive, and he had to become the rosh Hashiva at one point, it must be became the rosh yeshiva after Apis died. So clearly what happened was Afus had died, Hanina became the Rosh Hashiva, Levi had no one to learn right. Darush Levi bin Arda, Kalila Shari. So Levi got up and said, in Arda, Arda, Kalila is permitted. When he said that in Arda, Kalila is permitted, Nafek Esrin va'arba Kalili mekula naharda. There were 24 women in the entire Nada who actually owned a Kalila. Darush Rabbi Barabua bin Mechuzah, Rabbi Barabua spoke in Mechuzah and he said in a Alachic, Kalila Shari is permitted to go out with the Kalila. When Nafku, 18 women came out wearing a kalilah from one mavoy alone. There were 18 women wearing a kalila, right? So in Arda, there were only 24 women total. In Mechuzah, 18 women from one alleyway alone started wearing a, um, a kalila once they had the ruling that they were permitted. I'm going the Amarav Shmuel. Kamra Shari. He says that a kamra is permitted to wear out on the street on Shabbos. Ikadami of Safradi daves mubes,cada daisca. So a camera is some sort of a, a, like a, a fancy sort of a, a belt, basically. Abnate hush. Rashi says it is a hush a belt, a distinguished belt. Ye is a nice state Passh of Zavi Asia. It's a say, what Suish the places Za have have influenced Actually says some people would have this fancy belt, they would make it out of pure gold or pure fancy metal. And some people would make it out of some sort of fabric with the with the gold and the and the gems that were actually stuck into it. Gamera says, comrades mutter to wear a chavez. you have to wear a belt that's fancy on chavez. daruks. So some people say it's referring to one that's made out of the, the garment that has the gold or, or precious gems stuck into it. And Rav Safra says, no, even the same way, uh, so Rav Safra explains, the same way we find by a muzheves. A heves is a it's a tachshit, and it's permitted to go out with it and wear it normally. We're not concerned that perhaps you're going to take it off and, and show it to people. And some people say that we're referring to something that is made out of a, a precious metal, a belt that's made out of precious metal. And then what Rav Safra be coming to say is, He'll be coming to say the same way a Jewish king is permitted to wear a belt made out of gold, so too everybody's permitted to wear a belt made out of gold on Shabbos. Are you allowed to put a camera on top of your regular belt? What are you talking about? You can't put two belts on. That's not that will be carrying. So a rasuka is some sort of garment that people would wear uh, tightly around their body. So if it, it was just made out of a tight uh, fabric, so if you have a tight fabric around your body, but it's not actually tightened with strings, then you're not allowed to wear it on Shabbos because it might come off. But if you have a tight fabric that's actually tightened with strings, then there's no concern. And indeed, it is permitted to wear out on Shabbos. And in terms of belt, right? So if the belt does not serve a functional purpose, then you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to wear it on Shabbos if there's no aruv, because it might end up coming out. Right, it'll be it'll be considered like uh, carrying, which is why I don't know if you ever heard this before, but um in, on the east coast in the like the the type of coats that people wear on Shabbos, yeshiva guys uh, they have uh, either the wool coats or their you know their raincoats and they have the belts on them and if you if you see they'll always have the belts tied or or buckled, right and most people don't actually have those belts tied or buckled but very often yeshiva people will have them tied or buckled because they have a concern that if it's not Serving its functionality, then it might need to be carrying to have that belt attached to the, to the coat. Some people are lenient, some people are stringent, and that's like one of the things that Yeshiva guys will always be stringent on. They'll always have that belt actually buckled, otherwise, it doesn't serve a purpose and it might be carrying. Is but, is because, it, <laughs> quick question, right? Yes. Yeah. But that, that, this, these halachot are like if there's no error, right? Yes, yeah, so, so, so technically if there's no Eruv, but there is a concern, a lot of these alakas are concerned that even if you currently are in an Eruv, you might go out of an Eruv, right? The, the, the Chavetz Chaim famously has a, a piece in the Mishnah Brewer where he says that you shouldn't wear gloves on the street if you're going to be going out of the Rishisa Rabin, if you're going to go into Rishisa Rabin, right, without an Eruv. And the reason is pretty simple. Based on the reason of this whole parak that you might take it off to show someone, well, what do you do if you're wearing gloves in the street and you meet someone? I mean, not today. Today, actually, it's not going to happen. But as of two months ago, if if you're walking down the street and you're wearing gloves and you meet someone, you take your glove off and you shake the person's hand. Well, what might you do? You might then go and walk with that glove. So the Chavot Chaim says, well, to wear a glove where there's actually no Eruv, that's really problematic because you really might take it off and shake someone's hand and then continue walking, holding the glove in your hand. And this whole parak is very concerned about that. Well, this is a a great application of the principle that this parak is concerned with. And the Chavot Chaim, I think, goes so far as to say that even if you're in a place that has an Eruv, you still should be careful not to wear gloves because you might end up going out of the Eruv. And another thing that some people are careful with. Uh, But yeah, so the answer to your question is, Technically, maybe it should only be forbidden if there's actually no eruv. But it seems like the way Chazal set it up is that we even forbid you, even in a place where you might come to carry in a place that there is no eruv, even if currently you're in a place with an eruv. Now, one of the answers that the Aruch Shochan brings down as to why women today wear wear jewelry in the streets is is actually this answer. What he says is it's based on a rishon. He says that um, the reason why women wear wear their their jewelry in the streets right now, even though there is no even even if um, there's – why aren't they concerned for this takana? So he says the reason why they, they still wear the jewelry in the streets is because there's no real Rabin anymore. There's no real public domain anymore because we don't find 600,000 people to make a real public domain. Since there's no real public domain, there's no reason to be concerned anymore. So according to that rishon, it does imply that as long as there's no public domain in, the, in that area, you don't have to be concerned. So perhaps in a place like Palo Alto, um, where there's not, you know, it's hard to get out of the a maybe you could come and say that even wearing gloves in the winter would be okay, according to everyone. Wayne and San Mateo, it's more of a problem. Is that what you wanted to mention? You know, in other words, you shouldn't take anything in an a in case you go out. Well, no. So it has to be something that you would be able to actually go out of the air with it. We're not saying that you're not supposed to push a stroller in the air of on Shabbos, because You might go out of the air. No, you're not going to do that because you're going to be pushing and you're not going to you're going to stop before you leave the air. Right. But to go out of the air with something that is actually permitted to go out of the air with, but you might end up taking it off and then carrying it in the public domain. That is more problematic, right? Something that we're not going to say, listen, you can never take anything out because then you might just walk out of the Eruv. That's just too too restrictive, obviously, that would defeat the purpose of an Eruv. But to say that the type of thing which you're liable to take off on Shabbos if you're out of the Eruv and then forgetfully keep on walking, but you also could wear it in a normal fashion and that would be permitted, that's more of a likelihood that you would actually do that out of the Eruv, right? okay but but even if you're in an in an era of you're not supposed to be carrying something that has no use on shabbos right that is true but there's very so little- so with the belt if the belt is if the belt is not buckled or tied then even if you're in the era of, according to some people you shouldn't be able to carry it that's an interesting point i mean i, I think i think it's Probably with the belt, there's probably other other reasons why it's a little bit better, especially a belt that's actually attached to the clothing. Right. right? So then it's really it's really part of the garment, and you can even make the argument that it's a it's somewhat of a shit if you will, somewhat of a of an ornament. You know, people wear that belt. You know, flapping away, it's quite annoying to look at. But some people think it looks good. So uh, perhaps that's maybe that's a little bit better. I don't know. I hear you though. I hear you. if it has zero purpose at all, it's hard to find something that has zero purpose. You know, when they when they try to figure out things that have zero purpose. The, the two things that's relevant for is as you're saying it, something that that is zero zero purpose maybe you're not permitted to do um, and also on Yumtif, without an arab you're allowed to carry but if it has no purpose at all you're not permitted to carry so to carry your palace back from shul on Yumtif when you're not going to need it again and you're not going to need it at home you might not be permitted to do that on Yumtif because you're not allowed to carry if there's if there's no arab even though you're allowed to carry that air on a you're not allowed to carry unless there's some some purpose of Yom-tif at at least okay like the katla, it says you can't go out with a katla. My katla, what's a katla? Minakta pari, right? So we said that the katla is this type of uh, this bib sort of garment that, that you would wear to catch. Um, to catch bar- pari are literally crumbs, right? So literally breadcrumbs. Nizamim, it says you can't go out with rings. What type of rings are we talking about here? I mean, what type of earrings are we talking about here? Nizmaya. The, the nose rings, right? The nose rings are one that you might take out of your nose to show your friend, right? I, I've never seen that in my life, personally. I don't know that many people in nose rings. Maybe they do take it out of their nose often to show their friends. But the type of rings that go in your ears, we're not as concerned for. It's you, that you're not going to show people as likely. Not, not as likely to show people. We also said you're not allowed to go out with a ring that does not have a chosu on it. does not have a, the seal on the ring implication is that if it actually had a chosom on it you would be liable to bring a carbon casaas for going outside with the ring that with the chosom on it with the seal on it the implication is that a ring with the with the seal on it is not considered to be a ring that has is is an ornament right a ring with a seal on it has a functionality the functionality is they use it to seal your letters so therefore it's not a tachshit. it's not an ornament rather it's a it's a it's a functional thing since it's a functional thing it's not and not for the sake of, of, uh, of uh, an ornament, therefore it would be carrying on Shabbos. For a the minute, will ask a question, a contradiction. The ornaments of women are tame, right? So we said earlier in the Pyrech, right, that there are three different types of categories of things that can become ritually impure. Either a vessel, something that has a use, right? Or food items, or a tachshit, or something that's used as an ornament. So the ornaments of women can become ritually impure. What are the ornaments of women? these are they. nashem. Katlois, right? So the Katlois are probably the, the katla we were talking about before, this sort of um, the, the bib that catches the, the food items. Nizamim, rings. Uh, nizamim, like the nose rings. V'tabois and uh, rings in general. V'taba'as Whether it has a chosom in it, whether it has a seal in it, whether it does not have a seal in it, it can become ritually impure. Implication is that it is a tachshit right? It's not a functionality thing. It's a takshid thing, right? It's, it's an ornament thing. If it's an ornament thing, then even if a woman's not supposed to go out with a ring that has a seal on it on Shabbos, she shouldn't go out with any ring on Shabbos, right? But she's allowed to go out with it. It's not going to be chayev chatas. She's not going to have to be on carbon chatas. It's not a total level violation if, indeed, having a seal on it makes it ritually impure due to being considered an ornament. So, one, the, the Mishnah seems to imply that going out with a ring that has a seal on it Torah level violation of carrying on but this this other Mishnah says that it becomes ritually impure. It's considered a tachshit. Well, if it's a tachshit, it shouldn't be a Torah level of carrying on Shabbos. and 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 the, the rings of the nose. Amrav Kash is not a question. One of these is the author was authored by Rav One of these is authored by the Chachamim. The Tanya we learned in her baisa. He We learned this earlier also, by the way we learned in that if the ring itself is made out of metal and the chesama and its seal is made of almag, or he said it was a type of wood, t'meya is ritually impure. Sorry, it's ritually impure. If the if the if the main thing is metal and the seal is um, made out of wood, it's ritually impure. He shall If the main part of the ring is made out of uh, wood, the chesama shall and its seal is out of metal, tahor. It's ritually pure. I mean, the says it's ritually impure says The main thing of a ring is all about the seal on the ring. That's, what, that's what's important to us. In all the uh, yoke, we, we don't go after the material that the yoke is made of. We rather, we rather go out of the material of, the, of the, like the, the nails that are holding the two halves of the yoke together. Right? So you have the top half of the yoke and you have the bottom half of the yoke. Right? And they get attached to each other after I guess after you put the animal's head in, you attach them to each other. So the item that you use to attach them, the, as long as that item is able to become ritually impure, it's made out of a substance that can become ritually impure, the whole yoke can become ritually impure. If the item that the that the nails are made out of cannot become ritually impure, the whole item cannot become ritually impure. Big koilov, halach after ma'as smarisa. The koilov actually explains it's some sort of a, a pillar. It is wide on the bottom and narrower on top, and they would actually the Hanveni, uh, a store, a shopkeeper would use it to put on top of it, you know, the weirs. You would have some sort of like, a, you know, some sort of a pillar outside a store where you had like a, a sample of his stuff you would have on, the, on this pillar. So what, what, that, what defines its ability to acquire ritual impurity? What defines it is the masmeroisa, the nails that knocked in the, uh, the pillar and the weirs, that's what defines it as, as if those nails are nails that are able to acquire ritual impurity, then the entirety can acquire ritual impurity. The sulam, when it comes to a ladder, halakha When it comes to a ladder, you go at, based on its rungs. If its rungs are made out of material that can become ritual impure, the whole thing can become ritually impure. When it comes to the arts uh, a... Um, like a, a measuring scale, right? The like the old old picture, like the symbol of justice, right? A measuring scale. So we go after the shalsheleit, so go after chains. Chains are made out of material that can acquire ritual impurity. The whole thing acquires ritual impurity. The say everything goes after the main the main part of it, right? So what do we see here? We see that there's a machleikas tanoim when there's two different substances. Mixed together. And one substance is maybe the main part of it, and one substance is sort of uh, not necessarily the main, the main part of it, but it has a crucial role in, in, the, in the functionality of this item. Which one is the most important one? Chavis I'm say you go after the main thing, and Ramdachemir says you go after the thing that's the functionality, that without it, it's impossible to function. So Ramdachemir says that if the ring is made out of metal and the chosem is made out of wood, you go after the chayisim. And vice versa, if the ring is made out of wood and the chayisim is made out of metal, you go after the chayisim also, and that will determine the, the providence of this item. So, so too, when it comes to a question of the tachshitim of woman, the tachshitim of the, the rings of a woman, if the ring has a seal in it, so according to Reb you go after the seal. But according to the Chachamim, you don't go after the seal. You go after the main part of the ring. And therefore, whether it has a seal or not, it's always going to be defined as a tachshit, whereas according to Nehemiah, you go after the seal. Since you go after the seal, if it has a seal, we say the main purpose of the string is not as a tachshit, not as an ornament, but rather as the function of making a, a sealing your letters. And therefore, you're not allowed to use it. To, you're not allowed to carry it on Shabbos because it is not something that is considered to be an ornament that you're permitted to wear on Shabbos. Rather, it is something that has the functionality of using to seal your letters and that you're not allowed to just carry things on Shabbos just because it might also have a secondary use of an ornament. It has to be that that's the primary function is as an ornament or else you're not permitted to carry that on Shabbos.